So friends, I invite you to turn, if you haven't done so already, to Leviticus chapter 1. So we'll continue our series we began last week. Leviticus chapter 1, and our scripture reading today will be chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And then if you would, do turn to your right a few pages and kind of keep a finger or a ribbon or a marker or a piece of uh, paper there too to uh, chapter 6, verses 8 through 13. Both of those passages will be our reading for this morning. So Leviticus 1, 1 through verse 17, and then also chapter 6, verses 8 through 13, as it's on the slide. And so here's the reading of God's word. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and he shall it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord and Aaron's sons, the priests shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift is a burnt offering, is gift for a burnt offering is from the flock from the sheep or goats he shall bring a male without blemish and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the lord and Aaron's sons the priest shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar and he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat and the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar but the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water and the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar it is a burnt offering a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the lord if his offering to the lord is a burnt offering of birds then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons and the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar He shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for the ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but he shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And now chapter six, beginning in verse eight. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. 
The burnt offering shall be on the hearth on the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and put his linen undergarments and his linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside of the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn it on it. The fat of the peace offerings fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. This is the reading of God's word. So imagine for a moment. Let's try to kind of re uh, enter into the situation in which we find ourselves in Leviticus chapter one. Imagine you are an ancient Israelite. And in the, the span of just a couple of weeks. So at, at this moment, when you're when you're hearing what we just read for the very first time, when this very event happened for the very first time, we're talking this is a matter of weeks, maybe a couple of months from what you had just experienced coming out of Egypt. Just weeks or months prior, you were a slave in Egypt. And then God had called this person, Moses, to come and say, the Lord has sent me to lead you out of your bondage. In the period of time, you saw 10 magnificent plagues that the Lord had sent on the land of Egypt. You'd witnessed this. Culminating with the last one, the death of the firstborn, to which Pharaoh finally relents and says, yes, you and your people may now exit. Go, leave this land. And so you, along with all of the other tribes, leave the land of Egypt and follow Moses out of the land. And then you witness Pharaoh change his mind and send his army after you. You witness the Red Sea parting so that you could cross over on dry ground. And you witness that sea closing up on Pharaoh and all of his army. You witness the Lord leading you through a pillar of cloud and by a pillar of fire to this mountain where you find yourself right now, Mount Sinai. You've received the two tablets, the Ten Commandments, where God had said, and you heard the voice on the mountain, and it was terrifying to all people who heard it. You heard the voice on the mountain say, I am the Lord your God. You heard the promise that God had given, that I will be your God and you shall be my people. You heard the instructions to build a house for God so that he could dwell in the midst of all of you. And you made offerings and you helped to make this tabernacle, this dwelling place of God happen. Picture this. You've experienced all of this. And when Moses put the last piece of assembling this entire house for the Lord, this tabernacle, this dwelling place, the glory of the Lord descended down, as we saw at the very end of the book of Exodus. Now you hear the voice of the Lord calling to Moses. And now God is giving instructions. 
for what approaching this God is like. What does approaching that God look like? The first seven chapters of Leviticus deal with that question. What does approaching God look like for you, ancient Israelite? And this, these seven chapters deal with five major offerings that need to take place. Now remember, if you were here last week, we remember that Leviticus, the point of Leviticus is answering the big question, how can a holy God who wants to dwell in the midst of his people dwell in an unholy people? And so he creates this place and then he creates this priesthood as kind of an intermediaries between the people and God. <coughs> Now he gives the instructions for how that mediation is to happen. And it centers around five major offerings. And so here's a little chart. So you get an overview. So you can kind of see this context or the setting in which today's offering, we're going to look at the very first one, today's offering happens. In the first five and a half or so chapters, you have uh, the instructions for the people for the five main offerings. The first one is the whole burnt offering. The second one listed in chapter two is the grain offering or cereal offering, it's sometimes called. The third one is the peace offering or the fellowship offering. And then there is the sin offering in chapter four into chapter five. That's for the purification of, of sins that are committed. And then there is the guilt offering or the reparation offering. This is just to give you an overview of where, where we're headed and what's happening in this context. Five major offerings. Each one having a different, slightly different focus and a different purpose. When you get into chapter 6 and 7, you have kind of a, a recapitulation. They're going through each of those in a slightly different order. But you're going through those again. And these instructions are specifically for the priests. So that's why I read the two passages today so that we can understand the instructions for the people and the instructions for the priest. So hopefully that gives us uh, a picture of where it is that we're going. So today we're dealing with the first one, which is the whole burnt offering. And if I could just summarize a little bit what happens here, which we've read, the worshiper or the offerer brings an animal, kills it, skins it, uh, or guts it and is chopped up, the priest then takes the blood and uh, splashes or throws that blood on the altar, places the dismembered carcass on the fire. And that priest then takes the ashes of that offering and takes it outside of the camp to a very special place. So this is called the burnt offering because it's burnt. It's sometimes called the whole burnt offering because the focus is that all of it, every single bit of it was to be consumed by the flames. As we're going to see in some of the other offerings that we're going to be looking at in the next couple of weeks, they deal with very specific kind of sins or specific kind of impurities. Um, and there were some portions of the offering were given to the priests to eat. Some portions of the offerings on uh, some other offerings were uh, the meat was to be eaten by both the offerer and the priest. In this case, the whole thing was to be consumed. And we'll see why here in a moment. 
But what we need to understand is that the offerings we see in verses 3 through 17 are all one offering. It's just one burnt offering, but with three different options. It's one, one sacrifice, but there are three different, offer, uh, different options, three different animals are given. Why are the three different, what are the three different animals? Well, the first one, verses 9, 3 through 9, is an offering from the herd or a bull. Verses 10 through 13, you have an offering from the flock, a sheep or a goat. And then you have an offering of the uh, birds, uh, either turtle doves or pigeon. Now, why the different types of animal? Notice that he begins with the largest and then works to the smallest. So there's kind of a descending in size among the three. And related to that is you have a descent in economic value between the animals. The different animals were given based on what the offerer could afford. The bull being the most expensive, more, most valuable, we'll say. That would be something that the wealthy, if the wealthy could do this, offer the bull, they would. If you were, say, a little bit more middle class ancient Israelite, you would be offering a, a sheep or a goat. And if you were poor, you would offer a turtle dove, or a pigeon. Think of that. God, God's providing different economic ways in which people could give. By the way, this is kind of how we know that Jesus' parents were poor because uh, after Jesus was born, they have to go to... It's a different offering than this one. It's another one we'll see in Leviticus. But they have to go and make an offering to the Lord on Jesus' birth. And it's the similar offerings. You have the same strata. And notice Luke adds a detail in chapter 2, verse 24, that Joseph and Mary, Jesus' earthly parents, go to offer a sacrifice according, it says, according to what is said in the law of the Lord, and then he quotes it, a pair of tur turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay? So this is how we know Jesus' parents were uh, poor. And this may have something to do with the 12 days of Christmas too, right? And two turtle doves. I don't know that part. Uh, the commentaries didn't say that. That's just my conjecture. Okay? <laughs> but notice a couple of things. Your offering must cost you something. If you were coming to the Lord's presence, you didn't come empty-handed. The Lord required that the offerer or worshiper bring something. But God doesn't ask you to give, or the you ancient Israelite, ask you to give beyond what you could afford or what God himself provides. Why does he pick these animals? Well, these would have been accessible animals. These would have been animals that they would have had in their possession. More than that, so, so God doesn't ask you to give beyond what you could afford. More than that, God does not ask you to give more than what he has already given you already. Okay? Kind of underneath this is the idea the ancient Israelites would know that every good thing comes from your heavenly father above. Every material thing comes from God. And so what the ancient Israelite was to not 
think, was that God in some way needs this. They were already his. I love, I love what the psalmist, Psalm 50 says. And it's actually, they're, they're quoting the words of God himself. When he's writing to the Israelites who were giving their offerings just kind of in a going through the motion kind of way. No heartfelt thought or faith behind it. They're just kind of going through the motions. And you have the Lord God in Psalm 50 kind of reprimanding them for this kind of casual attitude about it. And he says these words, Psalm 50, verse 10. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. Kind of even kind of jabbing him. Do, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? The answer is here's no. This offering isn't because I need it. This offering is because you need it. You need to give it. God is the creator. He owns the entire created order. And he does not depend on any of that in any way. So, so that's the thinking behind this. God himself is providing an offering. And so he gives a prescription here for three different ones. And why? Based on uh, what you had available. You didn't have to go over hill and dale and uh, go a thousand miles and reach up to the heavens or anything to find this offering. He'd given it to you. That's why he picks these animals and that's why he does each one. But it still would cost something. Now let me look at the process. I want us to look at the process here so that we understand what uh, is happening for all three types. First, you have the type of offering that is given. And you see it, verse 3, it's for the bulls. Verse 10, it's for the uh, sheep or the goats. And verse 14 is for the birds. All are described as a burnt offering. So again, one offering and then three different types of animal. Verse 3, if his offering is from the herd, there's that first category. Verse 10, if his gift is from the flock, from the sheep or the goats, this is the type of animal. Same thing for the bird in verse 14, either turtle doves or pigeons. He then moves in, in each case, to giving instructions, particularly about blood and altar. The animal, verse 5, then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron his sons, the priest, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar. Same thing for the second type of animal. In verse 11, Aaron his sons and priests shall throw the blood against the side of the altar. And then verse 15, the blood of the bird shall be drained out on the side of the altar. And then in all three, you also have instructions about cutting or tearing the animal and then placing it on the altar to be burned. Verses 6 through 9, does it for the bull? Verse 12, does it for the sheep or the goats? Verse 17, for the birds. The only difference here is that the, the animals that were not birds were required to have their, their legs and their intestines or their bowels 
uh, washed. This probably had to do with like just another step of cleanness. Remember, these were to be uh, without blemish. And so just kind of an extra measure of cleaning and making sure you had a pure offering. And then this all concludes with every single one with a pleasing aroma, a food offering, it's called a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It says it in verse nine for the bull, verse 13 for the sheep and the goats, verse 17 for the birds. And what does this pleasing aroma convey? It conveys that God welcomes this. So let's look at the purpose here. We've kind of gone through the process of what the Israelite was to do. I want us to focus now on the purpose for each of these. And the purpose is given in just the first one. If you were to put these in parallel, you would see all of these things line up. But there's one piece, verses 3 and 4, for the bull that is applying to all three, he just only states it one time. And so here's the purpose and the reason, and there's four parts to it, uh, or the reason and the result of this sacrifice. Verse one, uh, excuse me, part one, verse three, he shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting. The idea here, or the key word that I would use for this is faith. This conveys the willingness of the offerer to bring something, the willingness of the worshiper to come. And he comes in faith, really. He's believing what God is saying in these instructions. God is saying, I want you to approach this way, right? Because this is the tent of meeting. I want you to approach in this way. And so the worshiper has to take God's word kind of to heart here and believe it. And then act on it. So the key word here is for faith. So he shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Second, that he may be accepted before the Lord. Accepted before the Lord. And I should point out here, because it's a little, um, maybe slightly obscured here in our English translation for it. Um, He shall bring it at the beginning of the sentence is referring to the offering, but he brings the offering and it says that then he shall be accepted. The he is the offerer. So you understand what's what's happening here is that he shall bring it and the offerer is accepted. Not just the not just the offering, the offerer. It's a little change. Notice it changes the pronoun from like an it to a he. That is significant because it's saying that the offerer brings the offering and that the Lord not just accepts the offering, he accepts the offerer. And so the key word here is accepted. Or we'd say it this way. We're going to build a sentence here through this teaching. The Lord God accepts all sinners. So actually, if you take the first two together, we'll put it this way. This will be the beginning of our sentence. The Lord God accepts all sinners who come to him in faith. Those are the first two. Now we move to verse uh, the first two. Now we move to the third point from verse four. He, the worshiper, shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering. 
What is this? What is going on here? The, the Hebrew is actually a little stronger. It's the word kind of to lean on. So if you can picture like you need to lean on something. It's leaning both hands onto the head of the animal. What does that mean? Well, this conveyed um, two, two words I can think of. Transferal and representation. That this animal in this right is representing you. That's what's behind this leaning of the hands. It's not just kind of a patting it on the head. You are to lean the hands on this animal to, as a way of saying this animal is taking my place. And that there's some sort of relationship, if you could say that, between the offerer and the animal. It was almost kind of the, the peak moment here. As you have just brought your animal in through the courtyard and now are approaching the, the very tabernacle where the presence of God is said to dwell inside of. And now you're bringing this before the priest and you're laying your hands, coming to confess your need for atonement and so let's add to our sentence the lord god accepts all sinners who come to him in faith and who trust in a substitute sacrifice and then we would add as we noted earlier that god himself provided and was freely available and by freely i don't mean it didn't cost you anything but it was there. God had brought it for you and said, this is what I want you to bring. And now the fourth little point of, of the purpose in this is the rest of verse four, which reads this. And it, that is this sacrifice, this offering, this substitute, it shall be accepted for him, the worshiper. Again, notice the change. It shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Oh, this word atonement. The Hebrew word behind this uh, would be is the word. The verb would be to like cover or to smear. And in different forms, it means to appease or to satisfy, to make amends. To be atoned. The English that we get this, the English word for atonement is actually an old English word. I thought I've heard a preacher say this before. And I, I always thought, is, is that just kind of a preaching thing or if that's really real? No, the, the history of the word is related to at one meant the condition of being now at one with someone. That's what atonement means. And that's what is happening in this use of this, this Hebrew word here. And a couple of things are happening. This atonement means ransom. 
Meaning it, it's a way of rescuing somebody from the, the wrath or judgment that would come upon somebody. Can you imagine coming into God's presence with nothing and walking in here just thinking it was going to be a, a casual interaction? God says, no, no, no. And, and later in Leviticus, you see this becomes an issue. No, you're in a bad state. You need to have a, an atonement happen so that you could be rescued from wrath. And notice God provides that. So there's a ransom element to it, but then there's also a purification element too, to kind of cleanse from defilement. So there's a dual purpose behind this word atonement. And, and I, I think that this is uh, conveyed. I, I think that in one of my favorite hymns, the writer of the hymn has captured what is behind this Hebrew word atonement. One of my favorite hymns is Rock of Ages by Augustus Toplady. Toplady? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. But it's Rock of Ages. Cleft for me. You know this? Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. What is it? Saved from wrath and make me pure. I think he, he knows what this word atonement conveys. Saved from wrath, ransomed, and make me pure purification. So let's put our sentence together now. This is our kind of our one sentence. And I know some grammarians will probably uh, have some issues with my long sentence here. So please just bear with me. I'm just adding all of the lines here. But let's see if you, we can understand what I'm writing. The Lord God accepts all sinners who come to him in faith and who trust in a substitute sacrifice that God himself provided and, free was, and freely was available and which God is pleased to receive to atone for his, that's the worshiper's sins, and be accepted by God. God appoints a place where his people can meet with him. The, the people are to bring an offering. The person does a right symbolizing identification with this offering, that this offering is a representative, a substitute the blood of that offering is then shed and poured over everything. And the entire the entirety of the offering is holy and completely burned up, which is why the priests said you need to. God said, you priests, you need to keep that fire going all the time. I want nothing left of it. This conveys this, the vastness of the sin condition of the offerer. And when that happens, the worshiper is now atoned. Made at one with God. So stop and think about that for a moment. Okay. The book of the book of Leviticus begins 
with how it is that a sinful but repentant person can come by faith into the presence of the Lord and to walk away assured that he is accepted by God. This boring, gross, irrelevant, confusing book of Leviticus actually begins with good news. It actually begins with the gospel, as far as an ancient Israelite would have understood it. That they could be assured that they were accepted by God. Ancient Israelite would walk away assured that, that what had happened, that that offering had taken his place. The Lord God accepts all sinners who come to him in faith. And who trust in a substitute sacrifice that God himself provided and was freely available. And which God is pleased to receive to atone for his sins and to be accepted by God. Many places in the New Testament. Where the New Testament writers. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit see are given a picture to understand what has happened, what was happening in these passages. What was, what was happening with Jesus and how this fulfilled what was happening of what we read about in Leviticus chapter 1. Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter says these words. Writing to the church, writing to a group of believers, to those who have professed faith in Christ. He says, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. You were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And then what does he say? Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Paul uses the, he, he picks up even the language in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 of the burnt, whole burnt offering aspect of it. And sometimes as we're reading this, unless we understand what, what's in the mind of Paul or Peter or John, what, when they're saying these things, we sometimes miss it. And I don't have the slide. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2. He says, walk in love. And then he says, the example for this is Christ. As Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us. How does Christ love us? He gives himself up. What does this giving himself up for us mean? As a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Somebody who knows the Old Testament, grew up with that, would read Paul's words and go, Oh, Jesus is the whole burnt offering. And his sacrifice was total. He gave up his entire life. And not just that he died, but that he died and was buried. That he was in the, the realm of the dead to experience it all. Jesus himself even said this. The Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is, says Leviticus. Or as Paul says, capturing, I think, both 
the ransom and purification part says this in Titus chapter two. Speaks of Jesus as our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify. There's the redeem and purify, purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And that is through Jesus that not only we are ransomed, redeemed and purified, but we through Christ now walk away at peace with God. Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, Paul writes in Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Amen we were to alter our sentence i'd say this the lord god accepts you if you come to him in faith trusting in jesus as the substitutionary atoning sacrifice in your place a sacrifice that god himself provided and that is freely available to all who would believe and whom god is pleased to receive Remember, he receives the offer, offers it, and the offerer is accepted. God is pleased to receive you and to receive that offering to atone for your sins and for you to be at one meant with God. Imagine. Imagine being that ancient Israelite, witnessing God's power, hearing the voice of God, visibly seeing the pillar of fire and the smoke, hearing audibly God call to Moses and speak from the tent. And that you hear these words and you come and you offer and we would say for us, we would say, I'm, I offer Jesus and you were to walk away. The ancient Israelite would walk away assured of his acceptance. Friends, that's what we experience in Christ. Let me ask this. Sometimes I think it's it's quite easy for us to cognitively agree with the facts of the gospel, right? God made us in his image. We've sinned, fallen from glory, deserving of wrath. Jesus comes, lives, dies. All who believe in him are saved. And we get to enter into heaven with him forever. Which is all true. But sometimes I think it would be easy for believers to think that in some recesses of your heart you think yes I'm forgiven for my sin but there's always one little part that God doesn't accept or you 
Maybe if you were honest, how many of you would say something like this? God, I thank you that you've forgiven me. But inside you say, I, but I struggle to believe that you've forgiven me for that. God, I want to believe that you've forgiven me my sin kind of in a concept, but not, not all of it. Friends, when we understand the work of Christ in light of the image in the pictures that we are to given here of the whole burnt offering, and Jesus is that whole burnt offering, he took all of it, all of your sin, even that little bit that you still have struggles with thinking that God would forgive. Friends, God forgives. It's helpful to remember the attributes of God. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. That's great. We're studying that in a you know, theology class. No, that means he knows everything you've ever done. He knows all of your sins and he knows the dark sins even in the corner of your heart. And so maybe you know that and you think that he can't accept that. Friends, Jesus paid for that too. You can walk away with the assurance of the forgiveness of all of it. Do you believe that? The Lord God accepts all sinners who come to him in faith and who trust in Christ the substitute sacrifice that God himself provided and, was, and freely was available and which God is pleased to receive to atone for your sins, all of them, so that you would be accepted by God. Friends, believe that today. Would you? Would you? Let's... Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the power of your word that every single part of it, every single word is breathed out by you and is useful for us And God, we pray that you would take the truth that we have just seen in your word, the, the truth that you conveyed even to the ancient Israelites, and that you have fully and completely and have finally spoken to us in the last days through your son, Jesus. God, help any and all of us in here today who struggle to believe that you would save and forgive and cleanse and give assurance that of whole and total forgiveness. God, give us the assurance of this truth that you have accepted us completely and wholly in Christ. That your son, Jesus, our Lord, really is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, including our own. And God, may we live differently in light of that. 
we thank you for giving this whole burnt offering. And we thank you that Jesus is that whole burnt offering. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand? Let's stand for closing. Building. And friends, if you have any uh, questions or um, comments about uh, our the sermon here and our time together, um, love to talk with you. Uh, enjoy that very much. Hear the words of benediction from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Brothers and sisters, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Not so